Praise the Lord. We're in Joel and Matthew. We're going to continue on our theme of more. I was preaching through Ephesians as we ended last year. I'm not going back there yet, but we're, we're really focused on this term that we came up with, that Ephesians leaves us with. And, and Ephesians really wants us to experience more of God, more of Him. Because God is not satisfied with us just experiencing an ordinary life. He wants us to live more than ordinary lives. But more than just being not ordinary lives, he wants us to live more than ordinary Christian lives. He is calling us to make a difference. He's calling us to more. You know, I think so often we get so easily lulled to sleep in the world that we live in that we just do the things that we always do and we can get into such a routine and such a habit and we just, we just go through the motions and we forget that there's an encounter with a living God who wants to make it more than what it just ordinary is. There was a day when we would come to church and we would come more than once a week and we would come more than once on Sunday and there was those days when we were hungry to be in his presence. And I'm not saying that we didn't get into some rituals there either. But I'm telling you that we have gotten into this ritual where we're content with a little bit of God. And he has so much more for us. And so I want to talk to you this morning about pouring again. I started last week talking about it and God pouring out his spirit on us. I didn't bring my bucket this week, and I don't need a, a little tiny pool. I got a big bucket back here of water. God wants to pour out his presence. And again, I go back to this idea. We're not talking about a cup full of water. We're not talking even a bucket full, but we're talking about a mighty rushing flow of his presence. Do we have that video? I want that. Continually flowing, continually his presence, just gushing. That word pouring means to gush, to dump on us. I want that kind of presence. Not because I need some type of good feeling, but because in his presence, in his presence there is power. In his presence there is things that begin to happen. There begins to be salvations. There begins to be deliverance. There begins to be healing. There begins to be powerful things happen when his presence flows through his people. And I'm ready. I'm ready. I've got some things that I'm stirring within my soul that God is going to release me to preach in the next few weeks that I'm so excited about this coming year and what God has laid out for us because it's time to go on the offensive and it's time to begin to see God begin to move like he can move. Now let me tell you this. When you start talking about that kind of stuff, everybody goes to the political realm and say, oh good, everything's going to change and our world's going to change and everything's going to... I don't think that at all. I don't think that our world's going to get better. I really don't. I think it's going to get worse. I've said that a lot. It's going to get worse. 
but our God. But our God. But our God. Because we don't look at things through this little world that we live in. If we understood how puny this little world was compared to the bigness of God, we would understand that this, the circumstances that we face and the, the, the situations our world is throwing at us today is only going to be used to drive the church and his presence and his spirit to be poured out upon us in a greater way. Every time the world goes to pot, the church begins to see God move because there becomes a desperation in the people of God. We need to get desperate today. We need to get desperate now and let his presence begin to flow and pour out upon us. Stand with me as we look at Joel and Matthew. Joel chapter 2 Verses 12 and 13, now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. So rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Drop down to 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from his dressing room. Matthew chapter 22. Verse 37 and 38. And Jesus said to them, when they asked him, what is the great commandment? And Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Father, you want to pour out your Holy Spirit on us. But you're looking for a people who are willing to pour themselves out, to die to self, to pour out themselves in seeking you so they can experience all that you have. Teach us, God, to pour ourselves out to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I believe that God is desperate to engage with his, with his people through his Holy Spirit. And he is longing to pour himself out on us if we'll only pour ourselves out in following him. God longs for us to pour ourselves out. He wants, he wants all of us. He doesn't want just a few minutes on Sunday morning. He doesn't want just a, a couple of minutes as you run out the door to work in, in each day. He wants all of us. He wants our entire being, our entire heart, our entire soul. 
He wants us. And I got thinking about that. So if God wants us to pour ourselves out, to, to empty ourselves of us so he can fill us, so he can pour into us, and I got to realize, maybe we just don't know how to pour ourselves out. But then I got to think, we sure know how to pour ourselves out into our work. We know how to pour ourselves out into our kids. We know how to pour ourselves out into our kids' sports. We know how to pour out ourselves into all the other things that the world offers us. But do we know how to pour ourselves out for God? So I don't think it's about an issue of pouring out. We're pouring out. It's what are you pouring out into and for? You're pouring out for something. You're pouring your life out for something. Whether it be your home or whether it be your car or whether it be money or whether it be whatever hobbies you have, whatever it is, you're pouring yourself out for something. And this morning God says, how about let me be that something that you're pouring out for. He wants you to pour your life out for him. He wants you to pour out your life for him. The disciples, you know, could you imagine just hanging out with Jesus and asking him questions? And sometimes you go, you know, sometimes the disciples ask questions, you go, that was a dumb question. And so, you know, I'm not sure I would have asked this question, but the disciples did. What's the greatest commandment? You know, and I think they were trying to like say, like, I, I, can, I can do the commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments, I can do. What's the greatest of those Ten Commandments? I can do that. Moses' law, which one's the best? Which one should I really focus on? Because I can handle that. And Jesus looks at him and says, none of them. The greatest commandment is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Because why? Because he wanted them to pour out themselves for him. When you do this commandment, when you love God with everything inside of you, the rest of it, really becomes easier as you walk in his spirit and he empowers you to live and overcome. But you have to pour yourselves out into knowing him first. Matthew 7, 7 says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. There is a process that God has placed into place where you must do something to encounter him. He's asking you to do the knocking 
the asking and the seeking. You have to be the one who knocks on that door. You have to be the one who seeks him. When you look at that passage in in the Greek, the ask and the seek and the knock is the continual. It's not just ask one time and be done. It's not just knock on the door once and it's over. The Greek word has that continuation. Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. Why? Because it is a continual process of going after God with all of your heart. You have to continually open that door. You have to be the one to be the one who continually chooses to go after God. And so this morning I want to give you three things that I think will help you in learning how to pour yourself out. The first is seek long ass knock love. I added love, it's not on the board. I added that one later. Seek long ass knock and love. There is a need for the church to go after God like never before. There are passages after passages after passages in Scripture. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Deuteronomy 4, 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. I think we misquote this way too many times. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. We only like the last part of that one. We don't like all the work that's above it. You'll see here in a lot of the Psalms, it talks about seeking. I think what has gotten us mixed up in our world of Christianity is that we seek the presence of God as an event. We go to church to see God. We go to a revival meeting because God's going to show up. We listen to a sermon so we can hear God. It's all about an event, but God is all about an experience. God, is, God doesn't show up just for one moment in time. It's not about events. It's an experience. It's you seeking him, him responding. You seeking, him responding. You seeking, him responding. You going after him, him coming to you. And it just is a continual reciprocal between back and forth. And it's an experience that will transform your life. But you have to be the seeker. He's, I believe that he is standing on the other side of the door. And if we'll just knock, he's ready to blow that door open and say, I'm here. But we're so busy. We're so misfocused. We're so focused on seeking the things of this earth. We're so centered on selfish 
actions and selfishness and, and things that make us look good to our boss and things that make us look good to the neighborhood and things that we are so focused on stuff that does not matter in eternity. And God is calling us to seek Him and Him alone. What does it look like to seek him with all of our heart? What does it look like? I said this last week, that when God shows up and pours out his spirit, you'll know it. But this seeking that I'm talking about, you're going to know when you are so hungry for God. I can't say that ever in my lifetime that I have ever been to a place that I was, I mean, I've been hungry, but not to a point of like, I'm going to die of starvation type hunger, where I had hunger pains because I didn't have food or couldn't get to food. I didn't get hungry because I just always eat it three times a day or five times a day or whatever it is. And I get food, I want food. But I don't know what it's like to be hungry. Some of you may have experienced that, but I don't. I've never experienced, but I have experienced this deep desire and hunger that I can't even begin to tell you what it is that I am so hungry for a move of God, to counter him, to engage with him, to, to seek after him more than anything else. And that's where I am at for 2023. God it's time for the church to make the move and to seek you with all of their heart, with all of their mind. What's that look like? You want me to get real? It means that I don't watch as much TV. That means my entertainment is now him. I don't need the things of this world to entertain me when I've got Jesus. It means that, that I get a hunger to hear what he's saying to me in his word. It means that I want to turn on worship music and begin to just be and worship and experience him. It means that I want to seek his face in prayer, I want to communicate with him. You know, when you first date somebody, you fall in love and you, you, you wait. And, I mean, we were on Bible college campus. We did everything we could to find time to spend together, Goldie and I. It was like, I can't wait to be with her. I want to have, we ate all of our meals together. We, we went to chapel and had to sit Somebody had to sit between us, but we were, you know, we were in the same row at least. And you were, you wanted to, you just wanted to be with them. Then kids come along and, you know, life happens. And then all of a sudden the kids left and I'm going, oh, hi, who are you? And now we're having this time where we get to spend time again together. And it's kind of fun. Just her and I. Sometimes it gets a little bit too much. She gets sick of me, I'm sure. I never get sick of her. But it's, it's that relationship with God that, that he wants from us. Don't let it get old. 
Don't let it grow cold. Don't wait for the event. Start today and say, God, I want you. I want to know you. I want you to speak into my life. I want you to give me your presence. I want you, God. I want to go after you. The second thing that God wants us to do is the thing that we don't all want to talk about so pastor can just skip this one, right? Repent, turn, and return. Joel chapter 2 said, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart, not your garments, and return to the Lord. Second Chronicles says, Turn from your wicked ways. In Romans 6, Paul tells us that we are to die to ourselves. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. God is calling us to walk a different lifestyle than the rest of the world. We've talked about this a long time in in Ephesians. Walk worthily. But I believe that God is calling us to go deeper in this season. God, I'm asking you to reveal to me what gets in the way of my relationship with you. God, what's in the way? Because I think that what happens is we get, get content we come to church, we have a good worship service, we have a good time in the presence of God, we've got great people to worship with, we have a great family of God here, and we leave and we get content and we aren't open to hearing what God is speaking to us about change. Well, I've been saved for 50 years and I have it all right with God. actually learn something. The older I get, the more I realize I'm farther from God than I should be. In fact, what I learned is that I picked up some bad habits along the way and some bad things that, have, that are easy to just say, oh, this is, you know, oh, this was a good thing, but it's just a bad habit that needs to change because it hinders my connection with God. The other thing that I think that we, we think about when I say repent and turn, well, I don't, I don't commit adultery. I don't do this. I don't do that. I didn't murder anybody today. I didn't steal. I didn't lie. Well, maybe just a little white one to the crash register lady or something. But, you know, I'm just, you know, we're not. But we, we think of those big things. But you know what I found? Sometimes it's not the big things that get in the way. It's the little things. And those little things are different for each one of us. Sin does not have a definite identity. Now, there are certain things that God says, this is sinful. But I have realized that there are things that I do in my life 
that God has told me no more. It's not what you would label sin. It may not be sinful for somebody else, but in my life, it becomes a hindrance to my connection with God. So what does that mean? I have to seek, I have to ask, and I have to knock, because in my seeking and my asking and my knocking, God responds to me, and he shows me what I need to change. None of us in this room like to change. And I can tell you another thing what we don't like is to be told that we're doing something wrong. I was a bad student. Not in grade-wise, but in treating my teachers because I took a test and I studied and I was an A student and so when I got done with that test... I put answers down because I thought they were right. And when I would get the paper back and my professor or teacher would say, that's wrong, I would say, I don't think so. And I'd argue with them, nonstop. Because I was right. Because I didn't want to be wrong. Sometimes I was right. Okay, most of the time. But every once in a while, I had to admit to the professor, okay, you're right. You see, none of us like to admit we're wrong. And when we do, it makes us feel like we're weak. It's just the opposite. When you admit that you're wrong and you surrender that to God and God begins to take care of that, it strengthens you. It brings hope. And it brings help. Because now, there's not this block between you and God. There's now openness. There's freedom, as we read just a moment ago. There's freedom to him who has died to sin. They are now free. There's that opening. But we have to ask, and we have to seek, and we have to knock, because we have to be able to hear him so we can turn, so we can repent, so we can rend our hearts and we can return to him. I believe that in 2023, God is going to show you some things in your life that need to change. And some of you are going to go kicking and screaming. And some of us are going to go, okay, that's good. That's okay. I can do that. And other of us are going to have to work through it with God and say, God, help me. But the good news is, when you're asking and you're seeking and you're knocking and you're saying, I need your help, he's right there. Because as we sang this morning, he doesn't fail. He doesn't fail. He walks with us. Josiah was a king at age eight. Can you imagine being the king of a country at age eight? His dad was wicked. His grandfather was wicked. He, was, he had a bad legacy. He had bad heritage. And when Josiah became king, after several years, he decided to start to clean up the temple. And he found this document of the law. And they began to read it. And Josiah says, we need to start doing 
what the law says. We need to rend our hearts, rip our garments, and stand before God and turn from our wicked ways and start doing what God told us to do. And that's what he's asking of us this morning. The last thing that is a tools for us this morning is prayer and fasting. It's amazing how many of these times when God says, rend your hearts, seek after me, that he will always tie it to prayer and fasting. Second Chronicles again, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Jeremiah 29, 12 again, then you call upon me and go and pray. First Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. Joel 2, when he says, rend your hearts, do all these things, then he says, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children nursing babes, and start to pray and fast and seek after God. That's what he calls us to. Matthew 17, 21 says, Jesus said these things when he was talking about the disciples trying to cast out a demon. says, these do not come out except by prayer and fasting. We all want God to pour out his presence on us. I mean, we want the dumping. We want the waterfall. But we don't want the time spent to pray and fast. Every revival in history started with a group of people who got on their faces before God like they have never sought before and sought after God. And when God showed up, it didn't have to be made up by man. It didn't have to be advertised. It didn't have to be told about. It just happened, and they knew that God showed up. I believe that God wants to pour out his Spirit again. But it takes a group of people who are willing to pray and to fast and to go after God with everything inside of them. Prayer is not requesting of God. Although it includes that, it is rather an engagement with God and a conversation with Him. He speaks, I listen. I request I share my heart, and he speaks back. And it is a conversation between God and I. If all you do for prayer is tell God that you don't like what's going on in America, that you want the gas prices to go down, and that you want the food prices to go down, and you want him to do this, this, and this, then you're missing out on a relationship and an engagement with God because that's not what it's about. He wants that relationship with us. So prayer is vital. Goldie already announced it, but tonight at 6 o'clock, we're praying. We didn't get to do it last week. The, the enemy tried to stick his little nose in the way and throw this white stuff at us, and uh, we're going to do it again. He's not stopping us from praying. So tonight at 6 o'clock, tomorrow night at 6.30, we're going to pray. We're going after God. 
I'm hungry. I am so hungry to hear the voice of God and to have him speak into our lives and for him to begin to pour himself out into us. We need to seek him. The second thing that these passages talk about is fasting. And fasting can be done in a lot of ways, but the Bible's fasting is talking about giving up food to spend time with God. Now hear me. Fasting is not giving up food. That's what the doctor tells you to do when you have to go in for an appointment and they don't want you to have anything in your system. Fasting with God is giving up food and praying. Seeking the face of God. Taking the time that you normally would eat and spend time with him. And fasting is vital. The church don't know how to fast today. We've lost the art of fasting. We've lost the the cry of God's heart. But yet we want want the supernatural. We want the revelation. We want the, the God's moments. We want to see his presence. But we aren't willing to fast and pray. So God's calling us to fast. And so I have a sign-up sheet coming around. There'll be three of them. They're all the same in different sections. But here's what we're asking. For the rest of the month of January, I'm hoping and praying that we will fast. And I'm asking you to sign up to fast. Maybe you want to fast a whole day. That's fine. I want you to fast. But our goal is that somebody will fast every meal of every day. That every meal will have somebody on it, starting tonight, supper. And if you can do that, you can take more than one, you can take less than one, you can do whatever you want, but everybody. And then I want, the second goal is that every one of us will fast at least one meal. Because if we will, as a group, begin to fast and pray in the month of January, I believe that we can shake what Satan is trying to do what God, and, and open up the gates of heaven and see what God wants to do. We want to see something happen. These things don't happen unless we fast and we pray. And so I have these coming around. So there's like four pages of them because there's like four weeks. And I want you to fast. I want you to sign up and pick a day, pick a week, pick a day. I don't care if you want to fast the whole time. You can fast the next 40 days, whatever it is, 30 some days. And if that's what God's leading you to do, then do it. Fast a whole day. That's fine. And if you're not ready to sign up today, that's fine. You can do it over the next, next few days. You can, you can email me your times, whatever. But we just want to you to be thinking about and focused on fasting. Fasting a meal, fasting a day, fasting a week, fasting three days, doing something to join us as a church as we pray and fast. Because when we do, when we do, it opens up our hearts to pouring ourselves out so he can begin to pour himself in. He can't come to, he can't fill something that's already filled with something else. And we're so full of everything else of this world, we've got to let go. And we've got to let go of some of this stuff and let the Holy Spirit begin to take care of it and fill us with his presence. Would you stand with me?